Men rising up to end the silence around us about the chains that bind us, to dispel the darkness of illusion with luminous spiritual technologies, to finally become the hero within us all. This is Arise, the Honest Man's podcast. My name is Karun Avatar Das. With me, as per usual, is my dear co-host Jai Jagannath Prabhu. And we also have two very special and esteemed guests with us today, uh, Ravanal Chambers, as well as His Grace Mahatma Prabhu. Um, and we are going to be getting into a rather uh, contentious, serious, um, controversial subject matter. We titled the current episode as um, When Tradition Becomes Our Nemesis, also exploring the theme of education and the very severe inequality that especially women in India face um, and, and not having access to proper education. So this is kind of like the core essence of what we'll be exploring. And just to give a brief uh, intro to our two esteemed guests, uh, firstly, Mahatma Prabhu has been in the Krishna consciousness movement or the Bhakti tradition for uh, almost half a decade, perhaps even half a decade. I mean, half a century. Half a century. I was also in half, half, a, dec half a decade as well. But half right. a century includes half a decade. Right, right. <laughs> more, now it's more than... It's more than half a century, which God makes me feel like grandfather <laughs> Beachmore or something. Anyway. How, how, how many years exactly, Gurudev? Uh, 51 and, oh my God. And um, I was initiated 51 years ago, sometime within, I, I'm not sure of the date, but it was within the last two weeks. Wow. September and March wow. of 1970. Wow. Yeah. That's that's just under double uh, my age. So, yeah. <laughs> well, don't worry. You'll also get older. Yeah. Guaranteed. Anyways, so um, Mahatma Prabhu has been with us in the Bhakti tradition since its very inception in the West. Um, he has served in so many ways um, in his younger years as a temple president. He became a temple president when he was 20. It was 20, 21 years old, Gurudev, is that right? 20. Yeah. And uh, so, you know, he was, he was engaged that in was so many ways. was a crazy temple. You have a 20 year old temple president, a devotee eight months. It's like, yeah. we were fired up. <laughs> yeah. But that certainly laid an incredible foundation for, you know, your mastery. Um, as you've developed that later in life, and essentially all of the all of the outreach missionary work that um, Mahatma Prabhu has done in his younger years has culminated now in his immense uh, store of wisdom and realization across so many spectrums, helping people in so many different ways. Um, he's established a company called Sattva, which is to be found at thesattvaway.com, and he developed seminars, workshops, online courses. Um, and he's especially famous for guiding people in japa meditation, forgiveness, humility, uh, relationships. Truly just such an expert individual and uh, deeply, deeply realized. So we're, we're very, very honored to have him. Uh, thank you for joining us, Gurudev. And, and also I refer to him as Gurudev because he's my initiating spiritual master, um, just to put that out there as well. And then our dear uh, Ravanal 
Prabhu. Uh, he is a multi-award-winning Irish-born film director, uh, focusing. I'm just, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna read this to do proper justice <laughs> to it and not miss any details. So I'm gonna. You can uh, skip so, ahead. <laughs> no, 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 no. We're, we're, we're going to do proper justice to it. So he's an Irish-born film director focusing on stories that cross boundaries and aim to connect us as humans at the deepest level. As a teenager in Dublin, he wanted to be a stockbroker. However, life was to take him on a very different journey. After studying a degree in psychology, he spent most of his 20s as a full-time Krishna monk living and traveling in Ireland, Africa, India, as well as the UK. And then it was in Africa in 1995 that he first developed a passion for capturing authentic stories on camera when working with street children and education. And then in 2009, after completing his MBA with a specialism in venture philanthropy, he started the award-winning production company, Be Inspired Films, and then wrote to Vrindavan is his debut feature documentary. Um, so yes, we are very much enlightened to have you with us, Ravanal Prabhu. Thank you, I'm excited to be here. So uh, just to, I, I see we already have some very enthusiastic greetings from our audience, some of our stalwarts. Um, welcome everyone. Uh, so just now to kind of set the mood and get everyone into the bar of what we'll be discussing, uh, themes coming from the film, we'll just be watching the latest version of the trailer of the film. And I'm going to mention, we're going to mention this a few times throughout the podcast, but I'm just going to say it now already. If you would like to watch the film, it's being, uh, it's online free until the end of the weekend. So you can just go to uh, Ravi's Instagram and in the bio of his Instagram, there is the link. So we'll, we'll also share his Instagram uh, handle so that everyone can get that access. Um, all right, so let's check out the trailer. Thank you. 
discussion here. Um, Ravindo, we'd like to start with you. Um, specifically, although the trailer gives us some context, what was the documentary actually about? What inspired you to get into that particular subject matter and dedicate, I think you said four years of your life when you were unpacking that presentation. And probably the most important bit for us were the feelings or the, what happened to your sort of emotional landscape during that whole process? Yeah. So yeah, those three little, yeah, three different questions. Sorry, I should maybe ask them one at a time. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll try, keep me on track if I go off. Um, yeah, it's a very good question. It, it, to be very, very honest, I didn't choose it um, or seek it out. It, it came to me, you know? And I'm very grateful. It turned out to be a massive blessing in my life, to be very honest. Um, but it, I got a phone call essentially from a friend who was related to the, the school in Vrindavan, the Sandy Panimuni School. Um, and he said uh, he was doing this fundraising trip. And he said, would you like to come with me to drive 1800 kilometers in these three wheel tuk-tuks down the West coast of India? And um, he didn't tell me at first what it was about. And I was like, I'd love to do that. <laughs> what, a, what a great adventure, it's so exciting. And I've been in India many times and what a great way to see it as well by road, you know, passing through all the different regions and so on. But then he told me we'd get to go to Vrindavan afterwards and visit this school. And you see, I'd spent um, a year, almost a year in Vrindavan in 1997 uh, doing the Bhakti Shastri. So I was studying, you know, the, the devotional books there, but I hadn't been back since. And so mm. for me, I was thinking, wow, this is 20 years later in my life. My life looks very different now, but I, but you know, I want to, it would be wonderful to go back um, but so I had, I had some kind of a notion like, you know, how will I, how will it be for me if I go back, you know, like time has moved on. Um, uh, but I also then understood that actually because of the school, why is it a girls school? It's because in many rural areas and uh, there, there are sort of cultural and traditional views and attitudes towards girls that mean that they're not so much encouraged to go into education. And even if they do start education, they don't generally stay in education too long. We'll unpack some of those in a bit. Um, 
And so I thought, well, instead of being from a faraway country, like we, we tend to inform our decisions about things just by reading headlines or by hearing about it second or third hand, I thought, well, why don't I actually, because I'd already been running a film company at this stage, why don't I take a film crew with me and this will be a colorful travel kind of, you know, adventure, but also speak to ordinary people that we meet along the way to, to try to understand this, what are these challenges or barriers or prejudices, but from, from people in their own words, rather than, you know, deciding already what I thought about it. And that was the initial kind of idea. And it, it, it and, and actually we came back, we did a trailer and, you know, naturally people were encouraging, but I, I received a criticism which at the time, if I'm honest, you asked about feelings, felt pretty pretty rubbish, to be honest, because, um, but it turned into a blessing. It turned into a blessing because it, it, it forced me to really go much deeper, not just into the issue, but into my own sense of why, how all of this related to me. And the, the, the criticism was, why are you doing this as a man? Like, I guess the implication was surely it's a woman's issue. Um, and I thought about it and I thought, wow, well, that kind of divisive thinking surely has to be part of the problem in the first place. And I reached out to people because my work is I work with so many different organizations around the world telling stories about positive change. I ha had a lot of contacts and I reached out to them and I, I shared what happened. And I said, this doesn't feel right to me. Surely, you know, the, the involving men in this conversation is important. And they all unanimously said, of course it is. And anybody you say it to, they go, yeah, it's a no-brainer. But in reality, though, um, it, it doesn't happen. And there, there are billions of pounds being put into girls' education and very, very little money or conversation going into working with men or boys to help them change their mindsets that would facilitate that change. And so I went back and, you know, the film took on a whole new dimension and also my my story, I guess, within it is an invitation to the viewer not to externalize these issues, but to see how do they relate to to the viewer. How does it relate to you? Um, so yeah, that, hopefully that gives a bit of context. Nice, Mahama Prabhu. We wanted to hear about your feelings about the movie, and that inspired you specifically to reach out to Ravanel, and then that led to Ravanel reaching out to Kruna Avatar, who then reached out to me. <laughs> so that we could have this episode. So your your feelings about the movie, or your yeah, your response to it is a pretty critical piece of how this episode just manifested literally on Tuesday, <laughs> a few days ago. And so, I I, I yeah. also just I want to plug very briefly here that it was actually Shardia Rasa Dasi who was. is in, who is in charge of Bhakti Yoga London who gave Ravanal Prabhu my number and set this whole thing in motion. So okay. I also want to give some credit to her because she really played. You know, if it wasn't for her, this wouldn't have happened. One hundred percent. Yeah. Thank you to her. About I think about two years ago. I had to become a little bit involved with the female or the Vaishnavi Diksha Guru issue and the pros and cons and the left and right of it. Mm. And what started to become obvious after being involved in that was that was not the issue. The issue mm. was traditional versus, I don't want to say liberal, but I, I would just say adaptive. Progressive. And this was a manifestation of the issue. And... Um, 
I'm still been involved in it and, and keeping up on it. I have to because of a certain service I'm doing. And I become very aware of the traditional or more conservative points of view, maybe more aware than I have been in the past because I haven't needed to, especially like living in the West, you don't get much conservatism. If you, once you go to India, Eastern Europe, you, you see it more and you hear it more and you, you kind of sense that you, you may be a little out of place if you're too American there. <laughs> Or right. they'll just tell you you're too American. <laughs> so when I was watching the film, I don't know how long into it, I started feeling a little uneasy. Not because I didn't like the film and not because it didn't make sense. And I, like, you, like you said, you know, when you told people, you know, the man, it should really be a man's job. It's like, duh, of course. And I've had God sisters tell me that, you know, we can't do what you men can do. You have to stand up for us because people don't listen to us as much as they listen to you. But I always take on the mindset of what I think the traditionalists are gonna think. And so I'm watching this film and basically what we're seeing is that this tradition of girls becoming married young and only being wives and giving up education at 12 is causing tremendous problems. So I'm sitting there thinking, wait a minute, this is what's in our books. This is what it says. We're, this is what Prabhupada is extolling, you know, that this is the system. And then there's no divorce, no abortion, no boyfriend, girlfriend. And of course, I understand that my daughter went to Gurukula in Mayapur. You know, that's what she learned. She started at age eight. And they said, you know, you're not going to choose a husband. Your parents will. That's what they learned. And, and, and she went through that and now she's in America and she says, you know, I went through that system, but I'm not Eastern, I'm Western. That's, that's who I am at the core, even though I've got that training. So it's kind of like, we understand that. You can't just change someone's culture who's unwilling and so forth. So, but I'm watching this film thinking, oh my God, the traditionalists are gonna be shooting arrows at Ravi for what he's doing. Cause basically he's saying that the things that Prabhupada said to do in his books are creating all these problems. That's not what he's saying, but that's what it seems like he's saying or mm -hmm. could be. Understood. So then I thought, I have to write him and ask him because I'm in anxiety watching <laughs> the movie thinking about that. And I have a daughter, right? And so, you know, my daughter went to university. She's got like all of her, she's got a car wing. She was going to university when she was 16 out of her own choice. And she had her own car at 16 driving to university, you know, so, and she had just come back from Mayapur. Um, at the same time, I watched her go through hell going to university. She, she didn't like it. I mean, she likes education, but the culture. Hmm. So it's not like I'm necessarily on one side of the coin or the other, but it, it's just kind of this reality, which we all have to deal with is that something is said in our books and you read it and you go, hmm, if we did that, that would like ruin everything. Although that is what is supposed to make everything perfect within another context. So then I was, I said, I have to write him because this must be going through his mind. And I wanted to know, what were you feeling while you were doing this? Because this is, this movie is like, education is important. It opens up opportunities materially that these girls will never get. 
and the context of modern society is that girls are exploited, et cetera, et cetera. As I say, you know, they say, what does women, what does it mean to protect women? It means to protect them from car dealers and mechanics. That's what it means. So we know, you know, we know that, you know, if there's enough men out there who will take advantage of women whenever they can. So that's why I originally contacted him. And then it kind of evolved in the discussion and said, then Robbie said, well, maybe we should actually discuss it publicly because it's not just this issue, issue of girls' education. It's the broader issue of tradition and how sometimes it backfires because of context or, you know, uh, people are not qualified to actually live that tradition or even understand it in the first place. And then it's misapplied and then you get all kinds of problems. And the traditionalists fight back like anything because they feel that you're criticizing the tradition when all you're say saying things, which to you are total common sense. I'm not saying, I'm just saying, if you do this, it doesn't work. It worked, you know, then, but it doesn't work now. And mm. but still they take it as an assault. So that was how this started. So, and that's what I wanted to ask Robbie. That's what I wanted him to talk about. And I thought, well, maybe we could have a discussion around that because I'm sure what you're feeling, I just felt by watching the movie, you know, because, you know, especially mm. we're so privileged in the West and you see those girls <clears throat> and it's like, this is not fair. You know, we come in, you know, we, we've got, you know, 10, 20 times more things than we need. They hardly have, you know, a few sorries or whatever. Mm. And we're saying, no, 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 you know, they should just be at home and not have these advantages. It seems kind of like hypocritical in a sense. So that's how it started. Mm. Yes, I, I have a couple of thoughts that came up while you were speaking there. Thanks. Um, <clears throat> also, just to say, um, there's a there's a danger, uh, I think, for all of us to, to fall into this binary thinking like it's either or. And especially I find the traditionalists when they argue, it's like, well, if you do this, this will happen and everything will fall apart. And they'll always give you the most extreme, scary version of what will happen. You're like, well, it probably won't happen like that. But even if it does happen like that a bit, people are intelligent. People are always finding ways to um, to figure things out and to, to, you know, it's not like, it's a very fatalistic, disempowered view of, of everything that, you know, uh, if, if we do, if we let go of this iron grip, then everything will fall apart. <laughs> which I think is a false uh, assumption. But also this idea that um, no abortion, no divorce, no boyfriends, in theory, in theory, right? That doesn't mean just by having that system. It's a very nostalgic, dreamy idea of some perfect utopian reality that, that, that probably doesn't really exist. And certainly it looks very, very far away from where we are today. And it's a sort of a single issue voter thing. I don't know if you've ever heard like of the idea of a single issue voter in, in, uh, in, oh, in um, you know, so, so there's one thing that's so important to them that they, they'll overlook all the other terrible things about that candidate because of this one issue that they agree on. So they're hung up and obsessed about this idea of holding the family together. And of course, no one wants a society where the, where the family's falling apart. But the point is, is that if on that one metric and on that one, that one measurement, if that's how you measure everything, and it's very superficial, isn't it? Because if you look underneath that, you might have so many other metrics where people are miserable and suffering and, and, and all of these other things. But as long as the family stays together, we're looking good. <laughs> you know what I mean? And it's just so, you know. Um, the other thing is, is it's not just about, education is not just about this. We as devotees, I think are also, I think a bit obsessed about certain things. And so we can actually see beyond them. So like, for example, 
it's not just about material progress either education it's not that's just one small component of it you know it's not about just about academics or just about earning more money or although all of those things are certainly benefits that come but for me what i found is so much more than that is it's for an individual whether whoever you are in this in, in this instance we're talking about these girls it gives you a sense of confidence in your own awareness of the world your own interaction with the world your own understanding of the world your own voice uh, to be able to know when to say no to things if they if you feel they're harmful to you to be able to take part in conversations whether that's in the family or the community um, and to be appreciated for your ideas and your thoughts that is a huge thing for the individual which is probably the most valuable thing because you can make more informed and better decisions which affect you and your family and in the instances of a lot of these girls and i think it's the danger with that sort of mm. kind of a cookie cutter approach to you know everyone in society this is your box that's your box don't step outside your box this is your limitations it's a it's a very limiting view of everything and it's also a presumption that um it, it's very fixed it's very rigid it's very inflexible and it's also we have to ask ourselves like whoever it is we're making decisions for someone else and so these girls would often express that no one particularly one group of girls in Kochugaon that village where they did a census of the girls in the village and they asked them about their concerns their fears their worries their aspirations their dreams no one had ever asked any of them anything about how they feel about their life or or anything else and probably never would have either um and so they they developed this great sense of uh, understanding and appreciation that actually they shared many similarities both in their aspirations and also in their their concerns for their safety and for different things um and they developed this real camaraderie and then they became what they said was you know they weren't invisible anymore they they were they had a place within the community and they would do dramas to the whole village and, and and do dramas that depicted the challenges that they face and use comedy and then even the everyone would be laughing because they could see the truth and we know that through comedy right we can say some really on the nose things through comedy that everyone bursts out laughing why do we burst out uncontrollably laughing because we know that they're so true uh but no one never normally talks about them and so that sort of release of laughter is because it's like whoa that's so real you know and so um can you imagine like and if a girl does speak out it's a self-fulfilling prophecy well why should i listen to you you you're not even educated how how could you even have anything of value to say so it's uh, it's very complex but it's it, you know and we we love i think we love it even more as devotees but the world loves um very binary simple things like it's black or white it's good or bad it's in or it's out or whatever i think that's just incredibly lazy and actually potentially very dangerous mm. I, you know for me i don't um mohammed i want to give you a chance to respond to this also um but for me just getting into the movie itself the first thing that came up for me is how are we defining education that was really the first thing that came up for me because when you look at like let's say the bhagavad gita where krishna is defining education as humility and pridefulness etc cetera, etc cetera, and then at the end of that long list he says aside from these 20 items you know everything else is ignorance you know so you get like a very strong definition of education like that which makes sense to me it's like the inculcation of a value system into the psyche of a person and it seems to me if that inculcation does take place 
the sort of problems that we were seeing in the movie or in the world today wouldn't be as acute as they are. In other words, they seem to be acute because these, this sort of education is not inculcated. And the sense that I got from the movie, not that this was your intention, but the sense that I get when I hear the word, I'll be honest with you, the word education triggers me mm. since, since 2020, because 2020 was a year where everyone was using that word way too much, specifically to other political issues that were going on in America. You need to be educated, you need to be educated. And I was getting really triggered by that. And in the way that I was hearing the word education at that time was that, well, you need to know like this very niche sort of thing about some topic that isn't really part of my life. And when I think of, and so education in that sense has like more of an academic feel or more, more of an informational feel to it. It's not about qualities at that point. It's about knowing something specific or perhaps extending to the extent of like learning some skill or becoming competent in some particular skill. But to quote a C.S. Lewis statement that I've always appreciated, he says, education without values, as useful as it is, seems rather to make a more clever devil. And so that's, that's kind of my, my, I guess, the first impact that I had watching the movie. Like, okay, how are we defining education? One more thing, toward the end of the movie, I think you were interviewing this lady in Mumbai. It was like by the, the like, it felt like it was on a highway where you were doing the interview. Supreet, yeah, from Safe City, yeah. Yeah, mm. and she was saying that we need to be educated in respect. She was speaking about specifically how men should be educated. They need to be educated in respect and consent. And then she kind of gave like a long list of qualities. And I was like, hey, that sounds like what Krishna's talking about in Bhagavad Gita. So is the fail, is education as it's normally thought of in the contemporary world failing because it's divorced largely from the cultivation of the inner world of the individual? I mean, I went through school. They didn't care about my inner life whatsoever if I were learning any, because that was the responsibility of someone else even though I'm spending eight hours of my time in school. So anyway, my question is simple, but I wanted to give a full context of what I was, one of the first struggles I had when watching the movie, like how are we defining education here? And if we were defining education in the sense that let's say Christians defining, would these problems really be as acute? Like, would I really be disrespectful to any woman, for example, if I was really having those values instilled in me? So that, that's kind of where I want to, I'm going to start there. Also, Mama, I also want to give you a chance to respond to uh, Ravano's, you know, problem with binary thinking, which I absolutely agree with and so on. But this is this was like very visceral for me. Like, what is education? What are we talking about here? Mm. Well, I have some thoughts, but I, I'll, I'll pass back to Mahatma Prabhu first. No, you you answer this question. Because <laughs> I, I was thinking, well, I was thinking when I was watching the you could see kind of like the before and after of those girls, right? Like if they mm -hmm. didn't go to the school, what would they be doing? I think you portrayed that. This is the fate right. of their sisters. Oh, no. Let's say learning language. If you learn to read, you kind of open up a universe for yourself, right? I agree. Now, you could open up a good universe or bad. Oh man, we're losing you a little bit, Mom. Yeah. Um, I think those are some obvious, the obvious differences of you know, you can read. There's books. Mm. You can learn to write, express yourself. You like, like you were. Oh no. Saying, 
and get into cultures, girls are like taught, don't think, we'll think for you, you know? Like you can't even yeah. vote before 1930 in America. Why should you vote? Because you don't know how to think. We would just tell you how to vote. Mm. Good, we're, we're losing you a so little, the connection. The connection is a little... Uh, yeah, I know. I don't know why. Should I go off and come back? Or? No, Maybe. Possibly. Maybe. Um, I can start responding because I picked up pretty much what you were saying. That's just internet. Should I... Maybe. Tell me what you missed. There, there's, there's, there's two, there's two ways of approaching it. Either someone in the house uh, um, may be streaming something, so the the uh, internet usage could be too high all over, or maybe you could leave briefly and just come back right, ba right back in. We can see if that's on a separate line. Hmm. Uh, I'm on a separate. Okay. I think perhaps okay. leave, leave and come back. If, if I think that sometimes might reset it. Um, Maybe we'll the see, neighbor. See you in a minute. <laughs> but I think I picked up pretty much what you were saying. So, and it's along the lines of what I was thinking as well, which is, and I, I Jagannath Prabhu, I, I, I hear you 100%. And I think full kudos to you for acknowledging that it triggers you. So that's like taking uh, responsibility for how it affected you personally. Um, I think that it's, um, I had another devotee, a very well-meaning devotee message me and uh, he's a nice devotee. And he said, um, I could get behind girls' education if they had spiritual uh, education. Mm -hmm. And I'll tell you how that, uh, I'll tell you how that affected me. Mm -hmm. I thought to myself, who the hell are you <laughs> that you think that you can decide on whether these girls get education or what are the criteria or the conditions for them getting education. Mm. That's a separate issue. So like, it's like if you have a sandwich, you have a piece of bread, you have some butter, you have some jam, they're all different layers. You can't say, oh, unless you're gonna have jam in that sandwich, you can't have anything to eat at all. Mm. It's kind of a crazy way of thinking, I think. So we can always add on spiritual dimensions to everything, but like, uh, it doesn't have to be a condition of somebody getting what essentially is a human right, you know? So for example, like Mahaprabhu said, if you can read and write, then you can also read spiritual books. Mm. If you can't read or write, you can't read any book. So, um, so it's a thing of like, also, I believe very strongly in people, you know, um, we, we, people also have free will. Ultimately, whatever they want to do is up to them. And we have no business in one sense deciding what it is. Of course, we can encourage them to be interested in spiritual topics, and we should. But um, the, the film is about, um, it isn't about everything in the world or about, it's not trying to give a panacea for all of life's problems or a complete solution to the meaning or exist of existence. It's not what it's about. It's just about this particular thing, which is that, um, that they deserve the right to education and that will give them certain benefits. And of course they will still be left with all of the bigger existential challenges that we all face. Uh, there's no question about that, but this one small component um, can certainly um, is one building block in a, in a much bigger picture that can be helpful to them. Yeah. I just want to clarify. I wasn't thinking about education as I was describing it in terms of like spirituality Okay. It was. I'm think it, the language that's used in those verses of the Gita mostly pertain to character building and character foundation, mm. and so that's how I was thinking about education. I, for me, it wasn't like a spiritual or existential issue. It's gotcha. a it's a human 
character development issue. And just, I'm just recalling my own education through school, Mm. that part wasn't there. So if I have to, so yeah, I was trying to make a discern, when I say I was triggered, I'm triggered means in the sense, I I was trying to see what is the distinction being made? Is it just academic? Cause that part, it maybe helps to some degree, but if you have really bad character, it doesn't really help that much. And if it means means character, then I would have to say in my own life, I was educated largely by my mother. Mm. And I went to academy also and got some, I got some, I I mean, I joined the ashram when I was 18, so I didn't get a whole lot, (laughs) but but I got something, but my education came from my mother. So that's what I was trying to make sort of a distinction there. And I agree with you completely. And certainly um, I mentioned it, maybe it isn't crystal clear in the film, but I mean, and for me very much so education is the primary thing is not the academics or the mm-hmm. you know, going and getting a job, you know, those may be other byproducts. That's not what it is for me. As I, as I mentioned earlier, it's about the developing a sense of one's own um, capabilities or tools to, to understand and interface with the world. Um, um, and um, Zia, who's in the film, Malala's father, he, um, I've, I, I interviewed him on my own podcast, him and his son, which which will come out soon. It's the podcast is called Evol- Evolving Door, and he made that very same point. And I agree with you wholeheartedly that education must be also an education of values, you know, um, respect, um, compassion, um, understanding of the otherness of others, and. Um, all of those things are, are an essential part of education. But it's a, it's, it's a little bit back to, so there is a risk for sure in mm. international development or, you know, all of these. Uh, so there, there's a little bit of a, a cheerleader feel or a euphoria feel. All we need to do is educate girls and this much GDP will increase and this will change right, and that will right. change. And and for sure, those are all, are all you know, elements of the, of the thing. But my point was that it's very naive uh, and foolish, but we're always looking for it. We're looking for the panacea, the pill. Give me the one thing. I can just do this and then everything will be fixed. And I think devotees fall into that category as well. Um, And I think that um, what I've discovered in the documentaries is that no, just educating girls, certainly a component is character. But if you don't uh, educate the men and the boys uh, to adjust their mindsets that have for a long time held girls back, then actually just educating girls on its own won't necessarily be the solution. And it might cause kickback by these men because they feel threatened and so on. Mm. And actually the situation could end up being worse. Mm. So that was another factor. Nice. (sighs) (sighs) There's Mahaprabhu, can you, are you back with us? Can you hear us? It's my connection is not good. We've noticed. Um, do we come through okay? You probably do you... don't hear everything I'm saying. Also, can I ask what browser you're on, just out of curiosity? Um, Google. Is it Chrome? Mm. Yeah, because Chrome is designed for Streamyard. It's it's they, they if it's Chrome, it should be good. Um, it's just the internet connection is. It decides how it feels. <laughs> you know, okay. it's still not happy. At any moment, it could feel better and just speed up again. It's I, and there's no 
There's no telling why. Anyway, it's okay. working. Can you hear working me right or? now? If you want to go for it, Krishna, if, it is, if, it, if it is your desire, please. I want please to make sure um, that Prabhu has decent connection right now. <laughs> and that I want, I, Ravi, I want, I want. Oh, Krishna. I want to from you, you know, because you had to make decisions. You had to make decisions in the film that we're going mm -hmm. to say certain things and how your experience was affecting the feedback that you don't want to get or miscommunication if you say something or show something, those kinds of things. I was curious. Mm. Well, I can say something about that. I mean, to some extent, um, I, I definitely, I mean, for me, the, the most important thing is to be completely authentic, you know, and because I feel like if I'm completely authentic, I'm not saying I'm always going to get it right or not, but the thing is I can stand by that 100%, you know, because it's totally real and true for me. And I, I, I you know, I think it's very dangerous, and I think as devotees we do it a lot. We get caught up in intellectual exercises or trying to think about what's the, the this or the that or the other you know um and so i just wanted to be completely honest about the whole experience for me and um uh i'm going to say something which might seem um i don't know how people will take it but like when jai jagannath Prabhu was was reading out you know krishna says these are the this that and the other uh that's all great and it's not you know that's wonderful but the thing is is if i read something like that and it and um some of those things, like some people may take comfort or whatever in thinking that, oh, the, 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 my, my experience or the things that I also think are important uh, relate to that or correlate with that. So the thing is, is that my I was very fortunate. Something that I have to remind myself is, is that uh, I spent seven years like completely and utterly and totally immersed in... Um, in studying all of these things and living them to the nth degree as much as I could. And so there's a deep imprint of it in me. And I, I know we talk about grace and, you know, ultimately that here, but by the grace of God go I. And so of course uh, we never want to um, lose that grace, but at the same time, I'm not afraid, you know, I'm not going to allow that fear to stop me from really questioning and pursuing uh, how I, I I actually understand it like how what it really what I really think about it and 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 also and so it's more about what do I really think about it and then I'll decide I'll, I'll sit back and see if it correlates or not you know what I mean um and so if you were to read out those questions like I would say yes it's wonderful that Krishna says all those things but they're true anyway <laughs> whether we read that book or not they're true anyway because they are we can see them for real you know, so uh, it's not they're not true because it says them in that book to me. They're true because they're true, because we can see them, you know, and then that's also nice. You know, uh, so. Um, so I just think that part of this whole experience for me has been, um, you know, uh, there's one thing I took, I, I changed Um and it was more so because I, I did it because of my own decision. But there's a bit at the end where I said, you know, that we should question these things about what we really think about them and not just accept them because they're tradition, culture. And originally in what I'd said was and philosophy, 
Mm. And the reason why I took that out, I reflected on it, was because I just said it in the moment when the person was interviewing me, but actually I didn't believe that. I do not believe that philosophically that these ideas, that, that, that these sort of behaviors are a, are a part of our philosophy but I do think they're cultural and traditional. So that was something that I took out, but not because I was afraid of what anyone would think, but just because I didn't believe it. I didn't think it was true. Um, and in all honesty, you know, at the end of the day, I, this is how I see it. Like, you know, we all have to grow up as devotees or whoever, like we're the ones living our own lives. So we have to take the complete responsibility and, and hands on the wheel for that. And so in one's respect, I don't mean it in any way disrespectfully, but I don't really care what anyone thinks about anything because um and that is not completely true because obviously people that i respect i will talk to them about it and i will be always willing to change my perspective at any moment if i really feel that actually you know it, it's it's a fair point or so i'm very open but at the same time i will never i will never feel like how i think about things for any fear of or for trying to conform or whatever because i think those things um as much as they may contain or they're, they're supposed to whatever but they also i feel cripple a lot of our um potential in terms of how we can understand things it's not that we, we we we're necessarily moving away but it actually in order to go deeper into something sometimes you have to be able to step away from it and not just read off the script you know um so anyway just a few thoughts mm. Um, <clears throat> very nice. I absolutely agree with that just because our literatures themselves also indicate that when you look at the scriptures, it's, it's always a sort of dialectic between adepts and questioning thing and pushing the question further and deeper and so that you can really step into an embodied understanding and not just a theoretical one. So I think that just stands absolutely true for how our literature is present themselves also. Mahama, I don't know if you're back. I'm just trying to hold space until, <laughs> until, you, can, <laughs> until you can come. <laughs> I'm, I'm in and out, I think, because um, I'm hearing you guys in and out. Um, maybe I'll reboot. Okay, yeah, try that. I'll try to, we'll do our best to hold space until your, your return. Okay. 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 Um, one thing that, another thing that came up for me watching your film, and also from some of the voice notes that we were hearing this morning that we're going back, which were, voice notes are fun. I love them. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> one thing that came up for me also that time is just like the sort of the contention gets to be like tradition versus like a more progressive understanding, or let's use the word adaptive also, which Mahatma used earlier, which I kind of like. Mm. Um, for me, I've always, felt like I don't really understand what the tradition is. And I feel like the tradition gets like all this bad rap, but what's actually getting the bad rap is our understanding or likely misunderstanding of tradition and not the tradition itself. Just like people may superimpose their wrong understanding of, let's say, God unto Krishna, and so they and they dismiss it. But what they're dismissing is their own misunderstanding, and not maybe Krishna proper. So yeah. I feel the same way with tradition. Like, okay, we hear about Varnashram, and like at least in the literatures that we study, Varnashram is like a sidebar conversation, and it's it's literally just kind of creating a social context for the main topic that's being explored, which is like pure bhakti, for example. And so we're kind of like pick, we're trying to like pick up understanding of a social world 
from this like peripheral discussions and the books that we tend to engage with. Mm -hmm. And so we're not really getting the fully evolved understanding of what that tradition is. And then we're dismissing that not fully evolved understanding of tradition. And, and, and then you brought this up in one of your vo voice notes when talking about a more sensitive subject matter, which we're not gonna bring up on here, but you know the one that I'm thinking about. And, and you brought up colonialism in that particular regard and people having sort of a colonial understanding. And I was wondering, like, maybe the tradition that we're dismissing is a tradition that's infected with 200 years of British colonialism, or it's infected with 800 years of Islamic, whatever mixing that was going on. And so what we're getting is not tradition proper as it's manifested in these cultures that we're seeing now in your movie, which, you know, is just really ghastly, but you're getting some like sort of distorted understanding. And so I don't know, what are your thoughts about that? Because I feel like tradition, at least for my generation, um, we're, you know, we're a little bit younger than you and the generations after us, I think we like jump on the bandwagon of progressivism <laughs> too quickly. Not that we shouldn't be progressive or adaptive, we must be progressive or adaptive. But mm. if you're gonna try to change something, you should understand how it works. Like, what is it about it that works? And what is it about it that brings order to the chaos in society? And then you see these parts aren't working, like change it. But I feel like our generation, we just like change and we get really excited about that part without yeah. understanding it. So I, I was curious about your thoughts on this. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's a very good point. Uh, it's sort of towards the middle of the film, I kind of, um, there's a couple of lines which addresses that. And so I became very aware of the tension between, let's call it, you know, tradition and progress. And um, I'm not more for one than the other at all. Like, so I'm right. not, I don't have a, a, a position or uh, a, I, I don't like these things of liberal or conservative or whatever. I just right. think they're, they're, again, they're too simplistic and they're just about taking camps and all the rest of it. And um, for me, it's about what works. Right. It's plain and simple, you know. So it's 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 an academic thing, you know. For, perhaps as an academic exercise, we could talk about what is the real tradition and this and that and the other, and that's all great. But at the end of the day, we can see what's right in front of us, right? That's the reality in, in practice, right? And that's what we need to deal with because that's that is the, essentially the reality, you know, in the moment. Um, and yeah, if we want to, and, and there's not, I'm not saying there's no merit in trying to dissect, you know, where's the fault or the blame or whatever, but we get into that mindset, especially when we're trying to defend something. I've got nothing to attack or nothing to defend. I'm just simply observing what is there. Um, and um, I, I hope it's clear in the film, like I, I didn't go for any sensationalism. There's no blame game. I'm trying to understand it from all different people's perspectives. There's no... Uh, it's not saying that Indian culture is bad. It's, it's, it's none of those things. It's just simply, that's what a documentary is. You observe something and you, you know, you just document it. Um, and so I think you're very, very right. You know, I also, one of the guys I talked to, Annie Ruda up on that water tower. Yeah. I really liked that interview. It was kind of funny. <laughs> it was, it made me laugh like, the way yeah. he was. He's a funny character, that guy as well. Yeah, uh -huh. we, we met him through the Facebook group. And so he was first of all going, you know, like you, a little bit like you described, you know, he was like, everything has to go. You know, right, right, right. And then I was like, so you don't think there's anything good to a tradition? And he was like, no, 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 there's, there's good things about tradition. <laughs> right, 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 right. So it's, it's that thing, isn't it? So there's, there's, of course, tremendously valuable wisdom in tradition. 
Um, and, you know, we, we also should be careful as we move forwards that we don't just embrace everything because it's new or it's different or it's progressive or whatever. But that's the point, though, that it, it needs discernment at every step. Um, but it equally means that as much as we shouldn't be just accepting everything, we shouldn't be just holding on to everything from the past just because, I dare I say, it, just because it's written in a book or just because of whatever reason, if ultimately it is not working. Even whether it's the application or the misapplication or the misunderstanding, whatever that may be. The danger, the thing that's so scary, if I'm honest, is like that often things that are hurting people are being presented in the name of traditional culture and therefore often of God. And therefore, people are afraid to challenge them. Um, and I, somebody gave an incredible example recently. It was um, Lakshmi Woodham, actually. But she said this idea of someone is uh, essentially, from your experience, hurting you with a weapon. That's your experience. But in their mind, they're holding out a bunch of flowers to you. Then how do you navigate that situation? They don't believe they have a weapon in their hand. They don't believe they're hurting you. But, but they are, because that's the reality of your experience. And they think they've got a bunch of flowers they're giving you. So that's mm. where, that in that, you know, Venn diagram middle bit, that is actually like a recipe for, you know, that's worrying, mm. you know, I think. And that's Gruda, perhaps, yeah, go on. Sorry, I just finished that last point, Prabhu. Yeah. No, no, I, I, I'm happy to, uh, let's, let's hear from Abhapur. <laughs> I, just, I just wanted to see if, 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 if Gurudev is actually with us now. I think he is. <laughs> Maybe not. Yeah. Uh, okay. All are you right. able um, to, sorry, Mahabharu, are you able to tether your device to your I mean, phone? I can speak a few words and you can data? tell me if you can hear me. That's probably going to be worse. Okay. We we can hear some words coming in. Good. Try, try. Can you hear me at all? Kind of. Because the phone data, is it's the same connection. It's mm. the same connection. Gotcha. Okay. okay. Can I just pick up on a small point that Kamania, Kamania Davy says, is the film not more specifically... They could be doing work on the tower. Uh. <laughs> Is the film not more specifically about the misapplication, misunderstanding of tradition in India and how that impacts our movement? With all respects, it's got nothing to do with our movement. Right. <laughs> the film has got right. nothing to do with that. I, like, so this is interesting. The film is a film about what it's about. And we can certainly have a conversation about this. And it's great we're having this conversation. Uh, so, you know, and maybe that amazes people that like someone who's a devotee would have an interest in studying or thinking about something that isn't just totally like Krishna, Krishna, you know, <laughs> it's like, you know, there, you know, it's like, I just, I, so no disrespect because I know Kamini Devi is very um, lovely. She's had some exchanges with me and I, so I'm not disrespecting the question, but I just feel like, you know, sometimes you just need to be able to discuss for something for what it is. Yeah, yes. just yeah. leave it alone. Like, just that's what it is, and then you can, if you, as another layer, bring in these other discussions or considerations. Yes, know? yes. I just at this point, there's there's been so much. I at this moment in time, I'm feeling like a kind of a like a tightness in my stomach because I feel like there is so much to this, and the like, 
there is just so much to this. And, and I want to bring it exactly to what you're saying, Ravi Prabhu, that this film is about the fact that there are literally millions of girls and young women in India who are practically being treated like a subhuman species, who are, who are not having any opportunity whatsoever to express their inner world and their experience and to gain the tools necessary to actually even be able to do that very thing in the first place with, you know, with with skill and with uh, with conviction, and that is that is a really really painful reality, and 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 the thing is, it's like I I was as I was watching the film, I was looking at them, and thinking to myself, there is just there is just so much more to life than this. And what they're what they're able to experience um, through their circumstances and the imposition of culture, mm. right? And it's just it's it's really it's really painful to see. Um, so here, I I kind of just want to you know come to a point of like if we're gonna if we're gonna be speaking about if we're gonna be speaking about tradition and culture, like I I would I would like to. I would like to kind of equate. Can we can we even equate those two things uh, with each other? And and what I what I mean is that growing up and especially coming to Krishna consciousness and then getting some perspective on Western culture, I kind of I kind of entered into a space of feeling like, what is even what is even the value of culture if it's just kind of like an arbitrary collection of notions about how a particular group of people should and shouldn't act, right? In, and, and so like, to what extent does it actually contribute to someone's inherent well-being? And the, and the fact of the matter is that the way that culture and tradition is being interpreted and applied in India you know, in, in, in relation to women and, and their education and progress in life is that it is inflicting so much damage and it's, and it's really, really, really problematic. But then what, what gets to me about it is that, okay, we're going we're gonna to make, and this is also part of what the film aims to achieve, I believe, which is that we're, we're going to try and do something about this. We're going to try and create uh, resources and facilities and opportunity for women to gain better access to education, which they should totally have, you know, mm -hmm. like that, that's just so clearly obvious from watching the film. But then you kind of come to the systemic issue, which, which is much broader and much more complex and much more, um, it's so vast, you know, and that is that, you know, giving women education and helping them to develop in this way is only going to take them that far if the broader society and the system within which they are couched does not actually receive and respect and facilitate that education to come to its fruition, right? Mm -hmm. And so then, you know, this is also a point that you made that men's education 
also is of critical importance because if men are not educated to respect women properly then what is what is really gonna what is really actually ultimately gonna come of it and this is just something that i also just want to relate to you know two things is that we're 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 a bunch of men presenting this episode right and like someone could have the criticism this is a woman's issue so why are there a bunch of men and guys talking about it but as you said also like that kind of approach is so it's it's so narrow-minded because you cannot divorce men's issues from women's issues it's like they fully play into each other you can't say like us talking about it is of essential importance if we don't talk about it like then it might as well not be spoken about at all yeah did you, did you get all of that robin no that was a lot <laughs> i did i got all of that yeah i got okay. all of that <laughs> that was a lot thank you for that um i'll have a go so there's a couple of things that came up for me um first of all yeah i mean you can't divorce um uh, men and women from each other we live in families communities and actually uh yet at the same time we can acknowledge there are a lot of tensions between men and women probably because of the attraction so it's like a battery you know you turn it on one end it pulls you turn it around it repulses right it's it's a powerful force we're talking about here um and so in one sense you could almost argue just as much as adding spiritual elements to one's life that actually learning about healthy balanced uh, healthy attachment within relationships between men and women would also go a long way to helping our society like the bigger society um because when it's not uh, when it's dysfunctional or it's um you know in the extremes it's it's really troublesome in massively so also the idea I, I really dislike the conversation around Western, Eastern, all of that stuff, because it's just, again, a very simplistic uh, way of looking at everything. Um, and so this idea of respect for women, uh, that's not an Eastern idea or, uh, or a Western idea. It's just an idea, and it, it, it makes really good sense. It doesn't really matter where you're from or what your books you read or what tradition you're in. Um, and actually what I found very interesting, sometimes people get so hung up about this when you talk to men, uh, usually men in the West, um, there we go, I said it, <laughs> um, about, um, about equality. They say, well, surely you mean equality of opportunity, not equality of outcome. And you're like, yeah, I do. But like, why, why are we so uptight about it? Like, we're just, you know, so it's, um, and so, um, but I think me and my wife have talked about it many times and I feel like we have to move beyond those intellectual understandings of what it is. And actually, when you have respect, you naturally have equality because it just is a byproduct, right? If, if, um, if I respect you, I'm mindful of you. I'm mindful of your situation. I'm aware of you. I think about, I take you into account in my thinking of how I do everything. And so therefore it's a natural, natural byproduct. Um, you know, as well, you know, the conservatives, I, I'm actually not. Um, so I, I, I've been thinking about it recently because we've had an overwhelmingly wonderful response to the film. But we've also I've noticed how certain, uh, you know, conservatives like move in. You know, I'm getting a lot of friend requests from these people who are obviously not in support of the film. I can see by their profiles. But, you know, they're moving in. 
Um, and so, so I wanted to just analyze my own reactions to, to, to sort of sometimes their blatant um, sort of trying to tell me how it is, uh, and other times, um, you know, more subtle. And I realized that actually, uh, they're 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 afraid, and their fears. I should not dismiss. I might not like their approach to how they deal with things, but actually, their fears may be legitimate. So they have legitimate concerns, and that that should not be discounted or not discussed. It's just how they choose to react to those uh, fears. So it's a simple thing, isn't it? Um, oh, girls may get mixed up with boys if they go out. Just keep them in. Simple, right? Sorted, easy. The problem is over. It doesn't take into account those girls or those individuals or how that affects them. Um, and then the person can feel my fear is now gone. I'm uh, satisfied. I'm not disturbed. Uh, so it's about my comfort uh, rather than how it affects on other people. My wife always is is into a thing called gentle parenting, and she's always telling our boys, you know, if they get angry, it's okay to get angry, but you can't hit. So you 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 it, we don't say, oh, don't be angry, stop being angry, don't be. No, no, you you can be angry. It's okay to be angry. But you're not allowed to hurt someone else, you know. So, so that's the thing. It's like so. My point would be: yes, there are concerns, and uh, there are, there are many challenging uh, situations, you know. Um, but uh, the there must be a there's got to be a better way to approach or to deal with these things in such a way that it 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 um, it supports or it protects or helps or whatever that, that addresses the the fear, but also does not hurt the individual in the process. Um, and you know the thing is, is like we got to be honest. We're very quick and very proud to talk about the material world and the West and the divorces and the this and the that and the other. I mean, my God, I think as to, in our devotee communities, we probably have huge rates of divorce and diabolical attitudes towards women. Yes, we just have to see it. We can just see it. We don't need to. We we see it. Yes. What do you mean by diabolical attitudes? Just really derogatory. Um, and the thing is, is it's it's in plain sight. We don't even mo many people don't even think there's anything wrong with it. Like an example. Oh, um, let me just think of an example uh, off the top of my head. Well, just as an, one example, and it's a very it might be a subtle thing, but um, there was an exchange recently um, on online. Uh, and one person said to this other lady, he, he referenced her as Mataji. And she she said that she didn't like being called that. She didn't see feel that it, it, she related to it. She, and, and also perhaps because in many times, and I've seen this myself, it's used, uh, I'm, I'm not making any comment on the original culture where it is mm -hmm. meant out of genuine respect, but it's often used in a, a derogatory sense, right? So many of the script that we've been told, you know, Women are like children. They're less intelligent. They, they're they're lusty. They'll they're 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 inclined towards materialistic thinking. Blah blah. The list goes on, and all that just goes. You take it all in and absorb it. Um, and so then another on another thread, that same devotee and that same uh, lady were were on there, and um, mm. this one devotee said, "Oh, we should just see all women as our mothers." And this senior devotee said, um, "Oh, they don't being they don't like being called that." Now you might think that that's just a very small, tiny thing, and but one of the other ladies said to her, "Who, who are they? Mm. 
you know it's a very dismissive um sort of way and it doesn't demonstrate respect now that's a tiny thing there's probably much worse things but that's just the only one that first came to my mind just right now um as if I'm, you know i'm i'm curious about that particular that very particular example because i saw that video and a, a friend of mine sent me a little write-up and i i shared it on my a write-up in favor of the mataji term and i i wasn't actually advocating for it because i'm like i call people what they want to be called but um i thought his was also an interesting and good perspective so i shared it i said i also and the way i shared it i was very careful about my words i said i also appreciate this perspective i don't exactly advocate for it but i also appreciate it mm -hmm. and that was the most commented <laughs> post that ever on my particular Facebook page. And a lot of the things that were coming up, similar to some of the discussion points in this conversation right now, was like, I grew up in a culture, like when I joined also, we grew up where we were told you call women Mataji. So in my head, it doesn't translate as derogatory or anything. It translates as me fitting the status quo of this particular environment. And, mm. I, and certainly when I come to like, when I'm out hanging out in New York, I don't call women mother because that doesn't, that's not in accord with the status quo of that community. But yeah. when I'm in a Hare Krishna community, I say mother because that's how I was learned. Mm. That's how I learned or that's how I was socialized to fit the status quo of that community. Mm. And it wasn't only, it wasn't until like recently for me, I don't, this could have been a long-term issue, but it wasn't recent for me until like the last 10 years that it seems like this was becoming like such a big issue. So then it occurred to me in the comment thread, I didn't, I didn't, comment too much in that thread i was mm. just i just got out my popcorn and was enjoying the show mm. but i did comment a few times and i said it seems to me what's happening is a clash of again to this point like this tradition not that it's a binary but it was a clear clash going on between like a more adaptive or progressive values mm. towards a more traditional one and that was kind of at the heart of the issue and it wasn't that someone was trying to be derogatory to the other, although I can see how it could be translated in that way. But the point, the point is, is that, um, you know, that's a quite a good example actually of tradition. Yeah. So, so we're not disputing the fact that the term can be very respectful and it's probably intended to be very respectful. That's not up for like, that's not mm -hmm. what we're saying. What we're talking about is people's real life lived experience right. where perhaps many times they have felt that it's been, and I've seen it myself. So I know it's, sure. I'm not talking out of you sure. know, just imagination sure. here. It's in a very derogatory uh, way. But the point is, is if you respect someone and they tell you that they don't like it, right you don't ridicule them or make them feel stupid for that right you you, you say oh, i'm sorry i didn't mean to i didn't mean like that simple right it's easy isn't it it's just simple that's if there is respect um anyway uh just something also interesting so joanna says why are we all men talking about women there's no women just another way to discriminate so joanna this is my explanation whether uh, uh it may may or may not satisfy you but um, I think the thing is that it's it's the Honest Men's podcast. The two hosts are men. I happen to be a man who made this film, so I, I'm coming here to talk about it. And Mahatma Prabhu, I don't know if you were on at the beginning, uh, reached out to me and you know and said we could have a conversation about it. So it's kind of just incidental that we're all men. We didn't think, um, and, and I'm not sure who we would have brought in specifically uh, as a woman to join in the conversation because um, it just happened that way. But I take your point. It's a fair point in a broader sense. Um, but in this particular instance, uh, it's just just how it was. 
we can do a follow-up episode we had a we had another touchy subject matter um a few episodes ago called woman as temptress mother and fortress and we got one man scholar we got him because of his scholarship but not because he was a man but we did a follow-up episode with a panel of ladies so that we would be protected from this particular you know critique which is a fair critique and it's not unfair um, I do have this because we we're getting into this area of the the question that you posed in the movie, which relates to this comment that's also coming up just now. Like, what are you, why are you doing this as a man? And I specifically, the way I'm hearing that in the movie is that we're being kind of called to action in a particular way, or perhaps I don't know. I guess this is my question to you: mm-hmm. Are you are you making a call to men in general? But let's say specifically in our community because that's where we're going to be able to have probably the most impact is in our actual community. Mm. Are you suggesting like a call to action for men in our community in terms of how we do things, particularly around this particular subject matter? Because in the West, like, I don't think I know any lady in America or Europe that has a problem with let's say education, for example, we all go to public schools. And Mm. so what is, what is a call to action for a, for us, or is there a call to action or you just wanted to make us aware? Mm. And the reason I ask that is because there's there's a whole plethora of social issues that mm. one can get. I mean, there's LGBT issues that I've been chastised for not getting into. There's issues around race that I've been chastised for not getting into. Now mm. there's one around gender. Like there are a plethora of issues that I can really involve myself in. So what is the call to action that this movie is intended for men? Just answering that question. Why are you doing this as a man? Yeah. Well, uh, to try and answer that, I'm, I didn't choose to do it as a man. I am a man. <laughs> I can't help it. <laughs> um, so there's, not, there's not really anything I could do about that. Uh, so, um, but, um, and I'm also, I'm not, I, I, I'm hoping that people will watch the film and be inspired to do whatever the hell they like. <laughs> If I'm honest, you know, mm-hmm. uh, I'm not telling them what to do or what they should think or what, you know, I'm just trying to make uh, express mm-hmm. some thoughts. And and, and also, um, you know, I'm not trying to give a final conclusion or, or an answer um, because I believe that the audience is intelligent. And if mm-hmm. they uh, come in contact with the questions and the issues, you know, it's up to them. That's my point at the end of the day. We, mm-hmm. You know, I think we're often in this thing of tell me what to do. Tell me what to think. Tell me. It's like, I think that's ridiculous, you know? It's like you can present the things in front of me and then I have to decide what, right. what, I, what I, you know? So I think uh, I, would, I would hope that they would see some reason uh, to want to, to think about this in their own lives. And also as a man, I can only share how much, influ- uh, how much of a wonderful transformational experience that has been for me. Mm. I, I sort of hinted at it in the film, you know, as a young uh, like I've been doing some press stuff recently and, you know, the, the media and they're saying to you, you know, how were you thinking about women before and after? And I was going through it with my wife and I was writing it down and I had to almost sit down, ask myself and go, did I really believe this stuff? Like, like, um, and I went, yes, I did completely and totally and utterly because at the time I didn't think about how it affected anybody else. I just mm. took it on. There's so much stuff we took on, right. When we, when we sort of take on a, such a huge step to take on a, uh, the, all of the things that we learn, you know, when we come, if we, especially if we take that step to, to fully live as a monk or as we, 
say these days. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, I feel like for me, it's just, it for me, the two best things I've done in my life, if I'm honest, outside my family, were becoming a devotee and making this film. Mm. I think they, they're the two balancing factors for me personally that have brought me into a place that I feel is right for me mm. um, as a man, you know, as a man, because um, it's like that. It's a, it's a very powerful thing, isn't it? So if, if you're, if you're heterosexual, those forces, they're the two massive forces in the universe. And so if that uh, thing is your friend and is something that you can appreciate and genuinely respect, then it's not going to hurt you so much, is it? Mm. If it's uh, this kind of nemesis or this this thing that's either going to pull you off your path or it's going to do this or it's going to do that, whatever it is, then you're always afraid of it. You're always a danger at every step for it, if you like. Mm -hmm. And ultimately, when women, when men are not respectful towards women, it doesn't just hurt women. It hurts us, ourselves. Mm -hmm. So, um, so yeah, I've got two boys, and I feel like I want to bring them up uh, in a way that they – have a really healthy uh, respect for, for, for girls and women from when they're young. And then, you know, the, the, we don't have to put, it's like the movies you watch. It's like, oh, watch out for the boogeyman and all that kind of stuff. It's like, then, you know, that's, that's, that imprints into you. Whereas if mm. you go, no, actually there, there is no boogeyman, <laughs> you know? Um, and then, um, you know, we can, we can sort of model healthy uh, relationships between men and women. Okay. I just, I want to press that a little bit more, but Corona, yeah. Let, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's just let's just see if, if Mahatma Prabhu is able to have frozen, any input though. here. <laughs> looks frozen. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Hare Ram, Hare Ram, 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 yeah. From me. Give it a go. Give it a go. You give have to go. tell me if I should continue or not. Please, okay. please like give it a go. I, right now, it's looking okay. Oh. I'll try. I'll say a few words and then we'll see if they actually happen. Um, in the context or ask the question, how is this going to help the individual and the community move towards Krishna? Because that's a simple question that is this is this good? And so and um another question to ask, which I think is it, it makes things simpler, but maybe not so simple to answer always is What would if if um, Rupa Raghunath goes to Prabhupada and says, Prabhupada, we're doing this in Vrindavan for the girls. What's Prabhupada going to say? Oh, that's really bad. They should just stay at home and not get educated because education just makes you a fool. I doubt he would say that. He, he would probably say, oh, oh, they can help their village, their people and help the world. That's what I would assume Prabhupada would say, because that's what he told <laughs> devotees who were getting it. Hmm. Hmm. Oh, stay in. Don't have like this 
conservative traditional, it's more like, well, what makes it good is that it helps the individual and it helps the community and helps the world. And, and said that like, well, you know, all you ladies who became devotees, I really feel bad that you went to college and got, you know, educated. He never said that. Never said that to men or to women. We always said, use it. You're intelligent. And it kind of strange that anybody would feel bad about the fact that those girls are being educated. It doesn't, there's not like a part of, there's no part of my brain where that I've tried to fit find the part of, find a place in it knowing what the alternative is <laughs> so I just find it interesting that some people would have a problem with it and we know some people do so what's the alternative anyway mm. was that understandable or it's somewhat yeah I think we caught a lot of it <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mm. Can I say something small which relates to this? Thank you, Prabhu. Oh, that when joining someone... the movement in 1969, uh, I had never seen an Indian. I'd never been to India. I don't know anything Indian, this, that, and never conceptualized is devotees started going to India and then exporting back or importing back to America some Indian ideas, but it never took hold because we were in America and we were Americans. And I never got the impression that was the goal of ISKCON, that we're trying to, to create a different culture. And then recently I heard historical fact that no modern religious movement ever became successful, not modern, no religious movement that is popular today ever became successful by changing the, the indigenous culture, by, by attempting to change the indigenous culture. When they did that, they always failed. So it's like, it seems to be an impossibility in a certain sense, unless the whole world becomes Krishna conscious. Then, then naturally it's already changed. You don't have to change it. You know? So um, I find these discussions very interesting because you know, culture is deeply rooted and you, you know, but you go, when you go to Italy, there's, you know, you're not going to see a lot of japatis. You're going to see a lot of pizza. It's just a fact, isn't it? And you go to the UK, you're going to see a lot of curd. At least I see a lot of curd when I go there. Um, so, and you know, when you're talking about the Prabhu and the Mataji, I was thinking there's a, plane it's going back to godhead and two devotees are like arguing prabhu mataji and they miss the plane because of that argument so i think a, a lot of our arguments are kind of like what does it really matter you know because we could miss the plane <laughs> by arguing about this and 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 as you said robbie i always i always take the role well i never i wasn't trained to call women mataji at least early on that was like a like huh and people you're supposed to call them out and say, huh, what? Um, so, but like you said, is well, is that what they want to be called? You know, like you, you know you're supposed to call Mataji to respect them, but what if that disturbs them? <laughs> that, that exactly. was, so, you know, are we just following some ritual or are we actually getting to the heart of what, what matters? So I think, I think these are important things. Um, and also I find it interesting, like 
like pontificating on a situation like Vrindavan, you're not from Vrindavan, you're not married, you don't have kids, and you're you know throwing out your opinion, as many devotees do about how we should be preaching. I'm like, great, that's your opinion. What have you done? You know, where are your results? Why don't we talk to the people who actually succeed? So I think, you know, it's it's different. You know, when you have a girl and she's growing up in this world and you, you're looking at the pros and cons, you know, it's more real for you. Would you, would you marry your daughter at 12? Uh, probably not. <laughs> to a, to a, uh, into a patriarchal family of men who are very macho. Would you do that? Probably not. And if you did, you would probably regret it. So, you know, I think those kinds of, you know, these, as Prabhupada, you know, Prabhupada so rightly said, armchair philosopher, I think a lot of us as devotees are like armchair philosophers. <laughs> we're, we're pontificating this, that, and they're like, well, have, have you actually done that? Or do you, are you in that? What would you do? You know, we're talking, I gave three month lectures on death. You know, why you die is no big thing. You're just like, yeah, so easy to talk about, right? Because I'm alive and not dying. <laughs> so yeah. I, I think sometimes that's an issue. Uh, yeah, Ravi, you want to respond to that or pick up something from that? Well, I, um, it was something from earlier, but that was great. I'm glad we heard you, Mahaprabhu, there for a good stretch. Yes. Um, that was nice. Um, yeah, I just wanted to make a point that came up from me earlier. Is is that it's again this thing of like where people go like two plus two will equal eight. They always go to the most extreme thing. So if we um, if we educate girls, then and we always presume it's the worst kind of education, uh, um, and we always presume then they'll almost all be you know eating hamburgers and running around nightclubs in miniskirts and all like that. We go to this really extreme version of things, um, and you know you have to understand most people uh, they may as young people we all you know may may make some some things along the way, experimentation or whatever, but most people want good outcomes for their life, <laughs> you know? And uh, as they're going along they're uh, especially if they have like, you know, people around them that are not necessarily trying to control them, but you can sort of guide them and they can speak if there's a, a, an open and supportive environment. But what essentially, I think one of the things that education does is it helps you to, to be involved in the conversation. So to have choice, so a lot of times in this old sort of idea that some people have about how it should be is that the the girls, it, everything is decided for them. And they are not involved in any of that decision-making process. Um, and so it may be, and this is an interesting thing I talk with my wife about quite a lot, even in the West, and this is something really important, you know, it just so happens that this is in the that story is in the context of India. But these, uh, to, to your point earlier, Jai Jagannath, it's not even really a film about education at all. It's a film about dynamics. And, and one of the ways in which this dynamic is is, is exercised is through their limitation to access education. But it's that's just, in a way, a detail. Um, and uh, all around the world, these systems are very much at play, just in different ways. And when you start to watch out for them, you can see them. Um, and the point being that like women, even in the West, there are different camps, you know, some people who are uh, very much feel that in order to fulfill your potential, you must be going out to work. So then there's this idea that you're just a housewife, like as if somehow right, a woman that right. chooses to stay at home is somehow less of a fulfilled 
woman or whatever. And equally, you know, if you're a stay at home or if you breastfeed or you don't breastfeed, like you're better or you're worse or you're this or you're that, um, or you're a more perfect mom or whatever. Um, and so the point is, is about being able to make a choice. So, you know, you, you might, and you have to make the choice that's right for you, right? And so even with education, you know, um, like my wife, she, she, she did a degree and then she went and did a master's in Cambridge and then she became a teacher for many years. But she, she chose and together, you know, it was very much her choice really, but I supported her that to stay at home. Um, my, my oldest son is nine and the other one is six. And it's only now that she's starting to go back to work part time. She wanted to have all of that time at home to, to look after those boys. So it's a it's this crazy idea that, that uh, just because someone is educated that they're going to want to abandon their family and not look after their uh, kids and all of this. You know, it's just a really, it's like the old Bollywood films, like where the bad guy comes in and he's hunchbacked and it's like, damn, 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 music. It's just so... It's just such an unnuanced thing, and we 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 we're that's how we are. We're still preaching that way, like there's there's the perfect, you know, Lord Ram, and then there's the demon, and there's nothing in between. There like might, there's everything in between. Is there some some truth to that though? Because I this is not something I personally research, but I have a lot of friends who would consider themselves conservative minded, and they would bring up stuff that kind of makes sense to me. Where it is seen, like in America, for example the more educated country of where women are more educated that they do tend to sh go more toward career and less toward like something like childbearing. So in a, in a, in the mind of such an individual where that thing is actually very important, then that education, which may lead to that result, I can see could be like a very concerning thing for them. And what fact, are they concerned about though? What are they so concerned if that woman decides that she wants to not have kids or whatever? Why does that bother them so much? Because of the social framework that they exist in. Just like for, from the movie, and when you went to Udibi and you talked to the, I, I don't know, the lady there, and you asked her, <laughs> I have this thing in my notes because I thought that was one of the, the funnier scenes in the movie. For me, it was funny where um, she was saying that, yes, women should be educated. She like conceded. And then she said, but maybe not in all the values. Well, yeah, right? I know the line. Yeah, so she says, she said, the Artie Ketapal, who's an actress who was with us, she uh -huh. said to the lady, so you agree that a girl child should be educated? The lady said, yes. And she said, and then after she's married, she should be allowed to go out of the house and do different things. She says, no, I don't say she should go out of the house. If, if there's a need to go out of the, the house, house she right. can go out of the house. And my point to her is, is that I said to her, yeah, but who decides? Right. That's my point. So the point is, is whether, you know, so could you imagine an idea that like a woman, a grown woman should not go out of her house unless there's an absolute necessity for her to go out of her house? I see that as sounding very strange to me growing yeah. up in this society with our particular standards. Mm. If I were to grow up in another society with a different set of standards, maybe it wouldn't seem as strange to me. It would just be another day in the life. And that's kind of what, like, I guess what mm -hmm. I'm indicating. When, you're, when you inhabit two social worlds, like, are we, like, how, yeah, I'm in this social world and I'm trying to influence this one because I think this one isn't as good or isn't as helpful or as harmful. That's what I'm. No, but, but if you, if you, so the question I asked her was, I didn't pass judgment on it. Right. I'm not passing judgment on it. I'm saying who decides? That's a very good question. Who decides? I, 
so the point is is that it's very much the the men who decide and that's the system and if and, and so patriarchy is not about men or women it's just the mm. system it's a structure mm. and it's often supported by men and it's also very often supported by women mm. because i in within the culture there sometimes it's even the term is used culture carriers and so in a way they become the police for the for those what old whatever ways they are right. um, and i my hunch is and i'd love to hear what other people think is that the reason that uh that that is often the case is because in any community, whether it's a football team or a society or whatever, you will do behaviors and continue to do behaviors that you are appreciated for. Right. Absolutely. And so if you are appreciated for, you know, keeping a grip on the way that we want it to be, then you, that will be reinforced. Even if that same thing is hurting you. Potentially. Right. Right. Mahatma Prabhu's internet is 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 pretty much okay again. So, Gurudev, what, yeah. what do you have? What do you have I, for us? I it? just wanted to <clears throat> say one thing. It's kind of taking off where I left. Thinking, I like to think about these things in relation to what Prabhupada did. Mm. At least, you know, the first things Prabhupada did was, oh, the cars are going this way, so let's just turn them a little bit to the right. We're not going to stop them and turn them back or or destroy the car. So Prabhupada's analyzing the culture and going, okay, this is the culture. So it is, this is what it is. So at least if you girls and boys are living together, okay, that's okay, but you should get married. You know, like, okay, let's tweak, tweak that a little bit. Mm. And you girls, you know, you shall be married, but if you want to be Brahmacharini, that's fine. We can tweak that. We'll create a Brahmacharini ashram. Like, why not? That's what you want to do. And you young boys, you want to dedicate your life. Okay, we'll give you sannyas. You really shouldn't get it till you're like 60. But, you know, we have a mission. And so we'll, we'll mess around with it a little bit. It didn't, it didn't seem that he was so, at least initially, concerned about anything cultural-wise other than let's, let's uh, do what works. And then, you know, the, the doti, doti korta, you know, is that a controversy? You know, all of a sudden that became a controversy. I don't know how that became. Mm -hmm. um, and Prabhupada said... Uh, well, you know, I never told you to wear a dhoti. You asked me if I could, you could wear one. So it was, you know, so, and then I wrote a letter to Prabhupada and I said, well, we're no longer going on Sankirtan in Western dress because we find that if you go out like a monk, it works. And Prabhupada said, all right, <laughs> if you feel more, this is his exact words, if you feel, this is really funny, you feel more comfortable wearing a dhoti, that's fine. And it's mm -hmm. true. Some devotees, like, they don't want to look like everybody else. They want to look like a devotee. They want to walk down the street and, like, you get people staring at them. And that's their comfort zone. And that's, they think that's the best way for me to spread Krishna consciousness. So that's what probably, if you feel more comfortable wearing, who feels comfortable wearing a devotee? You're going out to the store to buy a banana. You take your devotee off, put on a baseball hat, <laughs> cover your Sikh uh, T-shirt and pants and buy a banana. We see it all the time, isn't it? Because you feel uncomfortable wearing something that looks like a diaper, you know, and have people stare at you like you're from another planet. I just want to say amen to that. I do yeah. feel embarrassed wearing a diaper. And so Prabhupada's saying, if you feel more comfortable wearing a dhoti, like whatever, it's like, you know, <laughs> I thought that was, that was the most interesting letter I ever got. So we had to remember Prabhupada's practical. He's, he's super pragmatic. And then later on, he started talking about Varnashram. 
Mm. Nobody in during Prabhupada's lifetime had any clue what that meant, or you know. And I have a little joke. I'm going to make a video on this. You know, that sometimes devotee will say, um, "Prabhu, we're trying to have a Vedic marriage," and I'll say, "Oh my God, don't do that. <laughs> that that's not going to work for you." You know. So you know this idea of Westerners being Vedic is a little like you know problematic sometimes. You know. Okay, be Vedic, but don't be too Vedic because you'll you'll like end up a little bit of a monster, you know, trying to be like this Vedic something that you're not. What does it even mean anyway? I mean, yeah, exactly. It means um, whatever you think it means <laughs> in your immaturity as a bhakta, and then you're trying to to be what you've defined as Vedic, which could be anything, and then. You end up being this like weird entity who you know ends up like telling their parents they're demons and they're never you're never going to talk to them and all your friends are you tell them they're going to hell and etc cetera, etc cetera, and you give these amazingly um, fanatical racist lectures on the Sunday feast and you know I have my little jokes about this you know I call them Bakta Burfi you know three things you talk about you know the Sunday feast we didn't go to the moon women are less intelligent and you know pick your other third favorite thing. So, um, you know, I just, I, I, something that really got me thinking about this is I read a story that Lord Ramachandra found a Shudra reading the Vedas and he killed him because mm. he was afraid that if that Shudra got the Vedas, it would be misunderstood. And right after I read that, I was thinking, oh my God, I see this happening all over ISKCON. People completely misunderstanding Prabhupada and like that. So, you know, trying to be Vedic is a little dangerous. But trying to be a pure devotee is, is a little simpler and easier. So that's just a personal concern for me when people are got to be Vedic. It's not in, then, then we have people saying like what it says in scriptures gives is way more. You must give way more precedence than, than what Prabhupada said. Like here's the verse, but what Prabhupada said in the purport, that is, is not the pramanam, not the highest. Like, whoa, wait a minute, where is this coming from? This is a whole new idea. So, you know, we're having to adjust to this, but this is not something we had to adjust to during Prabhupada's time, at least not my experience, not much of it. You know, mm -hmm. we weren't like confused, Prabhu Mataji, this, that. It wasn't so confusing, mm -hmm. although it wasn't so great for women after a while. I, I, I recognize that. Mm. But, you know, for most devotees who've been around 10, 20, 30 years, they're just not that Vedic when, you know, I mean, like go house to house to all your devotee friends and, you know, go in their house. How, how Vedic is their house? What are they wearing? What are they eating? He's wearing a t-shirt and cut cutoffs and eating pizza, you know, most likely in a salad, right? <laughs> Prabhu, is that a Vedic salad or does it have curd in it? If this doesn't have curd, I'm not going to, I can't eat it, you know? So, um, so I don't want to undermine Vedic and like that. Which what some I, people I, may think I'm what doing. I'm, what I'm hearing from you is that Prabhupada was pragmatic and he, you know, he did what worked. And I think that's what I'm also hearing from Ravano. Like, we have to use our common sense and let's do what works. I, that's what I'm hearing. I'm just reflecting what I think that I'm hearing. Yeah, 100%. And, and what I, my response to that is like, A, duh. But B, <laughs> and this is where, this is where the, but this is where it gets a little tricky for me in my thinking something is working in my frame of reference in my world of faith. And yeah. when I try to import what works for me in my world of faith into another social world, 
it may just create chaos in another social in the name of elevating it or doing good for it, et cetera, et cetera, then it just ends up creating more chaos than it does actually helping the situation. And I think um, the, the ex-tennis star in the movie was a Sheikha, Sheikha, Sheikha Ubra, yeah. So she brought this point up like, okay, if you empower the individual woman, it doesn't really help her because she's got to take that empowered individualism back to her community and she'll be shunned or criticized and ridiculed. So you really have to empower the community. And that sounds like a really big epic project to like uplift the whole community. I can barely uplift my house, you know, what to speak of a whole community. And so that's where the, that's where the dub for me gets more blurred. Like yeah. I, like I appreciate the effort to want to elevate a particular social world that's struggling because of lack of whatever. In this case, this basic human regard for women and little girls in this particular mm -hmm. instance. But, you know, I got my own stuff over here in America that's really, really heavy. And if, am I really going to go through the endeavor to try to import these other values and create a, perhaps a greater chaos in the name of good. And I'm sorry to give this example. It's just the first example that came into my head, but I don't even know if I should say it, but anyway, okay. the, the example is like America in the name of democracy going into these other countries that, that you know, to instill democracy. And I always like, I didn't keep up with, I was in the ashram when this, these Iraqi wars were going on. So I really knew nothing about it. But when I was seeing the images of like destroyed cities and so on, I'm like, I wonder how they appreciate the, you know, installment of democracy into their countries where all their houses are blown up and their cities are in, destroyed and, and decimated. But that was all in the name of importing what we thought was valuable to, uh, in the name of elevating another social world. So that's where the dub part gets a little bit, it gets like, it gets nuanced and it gets blurry, it gets messy. And I, I can totally understand why someone like the lady in Udipi is just like, like she was like taken aback by your question. Like, well, what about what she wants to do? That was your question to her. What about what the girl wants to do? And she was taken aback by that. And she said her specific words was that in India, as if we didn't know this, in India, it's not about me. That was her response to you. And I thought that whole exchange was kind of funny. That like, of course, we it's it's not about me. So that's where this is where do it works. Duh, absolutely. But what works, then mm. that's that's the part that, that we're likely to get into disagreements. That's the that's the part where you're likely to see this division come up between conservative or liberal, traditional or progressive. That's when it comes to answering that question, what works, that's where the division comes up. So mm -hmm. I'm, I'm, yeah, this is, it's more of a statement, but I, I wanted to hear a response to this. Yeah, no, it's a really, really good point. Um, and um, I, I acknowledge it completely. Um, I, I, I think I was very sensitive to this uh, point mm -hmm. because I didn't, um, or at least I tried very much not to go there with a certain idea of how it should be. Um, and the point is, is that you see, um, you have to ask the people, and that was my intention from the beginning. Mm. Like, so I'm not, I, it's their words. Like we're hearing from real people in their own words about their own experience. So maybe you could argue that even prior to me going there, already some outside influences there that is changing mm. things. But if that's the case, that's already happening anyway. Like it's right. not like we're gonna stop it. So um, certainly I, 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 it was something that I was conscious of that we're, I'm not suggesting that, um, 
we should go there and that education should lead to just a big consumer race type society where people move away from villages sure, into towns. Right. So, yeah. so that's what I'm saying. Our mind, our mind races ahead to all of right. the things that we think are going to happen. Um, and um, I feel at the end of the day, um, when we talk about what works, are we doing that in the context of involving the people that it affects in the conversation? Because if we are, then it's far more likely it will work and it's far less likely that we're going to get it wrong because they are involved in the conversation. So then, then we would be imposing our ideas on them to tell them that they're wrong. You know? Mm. There was one Rather thing, there was one interview you had with, and I forget the question, you were asking this guy, he looked like he was about 30 or 35, and he was kind of like cool. And you're asking him a question about, will this work? And he said something like, if, it if it's works, authentic. It works. Yeah, it's just like, it's a, yeah, if, if, it's gonna, if it's gonna work, hello, it works. So you don't even have to ask the question because the best man, will win. So what was the question you asked him? It was, I, I, if, I, if I remember, if I think it's the same section that uh, Jai Dagan has thinking, it was, was it up on a, on a water tower, up on a roof somewhere? Is it? Do you Maybe. remember? So, so I said to him, um, he said something about, um, you know, whatever is authentic will, 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 something like that, whatever is real will, will, will work. And I said, yeah, but some people say that what's authentic is that men rule the world and women should just get in their place and that's how it is. And he said, well, if that's authentic, that will be the way it is. And if it's not, it will change. So, you know, whether we, it's, it's you know, I suppose it's that dilemma, isn't it? That we have uh, the ability to try and influence things and to shape our own futures, but we also accept that there are bigger things at play as well. Um, you know, and ultimately water will always find its level, you know? Yeah, what, what worked 50 years ago really well even in theory it could work today but it can't because we don't think that way but in answer to jay Jagannath's question i was also thinking if you educate enough girls over time the culture in the village is going to change because mm. it's just the girls are you know taking a different role and then you've seen that video about the women i think it's in africa they just took over the village because the men were like just lazy <laughs> they were yeah they, they were controlling <laughs> them and they're like Forget you guys. So, you know, I think th those are natural outcomes if you're, if you're, you know, yeah. if you want rights without responsibilities, the women are sooner or later gonna just go, okay, this is like too much. And it's, yeah. it's a point, uh, 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 sorry, uh, uh, on the point earlier about choice, is like presuming that all women will suddenly, you know, abandon their families and all of that. I mean, that, that, that is also a, a massive presumption, you yeah. know? Um, like women are incredible, you know, they'll be, if they are working, they'll also always be thinking about their other responsibilities and everything else. And they'll be, it's incredible and it's difficult and it's, it's really difficult to try and be juggling both those things. But if that's what they choose to do, then it's up to the partnership and the, and the, the two people who are in the partnership to figure out, um, what, uh, is right for them and are they managing it? And maybe then they have to change and maybe one of them starts to work less or whatever. Like it's, it's adaptive, like Mahaprabhu's point earlier about adapting. Um, and, and also um, th there was a, a movement in India uh, of young women who were kind of speaking out because uh, in the universities in India, in the big cities, there's hostels, you know, so if they come from rural places and they stay in the hostels, um, like halls of residence or whatever, 
um, there was this thing from the the authorities, if you like, of the universities that the girls have to be in by a curfew time, whatever that time is, but the boys don't. Um, and you could argue, well, that's just protection, right? Safety. But the argument they were making is, is well, it's, it's not protection, it's control. Because if we don't get back by the curfew time, you lock the gate. So now I'm out in the street on my own. So where's the, where's the, how is that, you know what I mean? Um, it's basically obey and do what you're told. We're telling you it's about protection and maybe this part of that is there, but actually it's, uh, it's the idea that no, as a woman, you do not disobey. You toe the line, you get in the box and do, you know, and, and, and then, then maybe we will respect you. That's the thing. There's conditions upon, upon which we will respect you. And it's a very interesting point. They came up many times as well. People say, oh, of course we respect women. We have women Davies. And so this is a very interesting point too. And I think we do this in the West as well. If you're a woman and you're perfect, then we will respect you. And if you're not perfect, then we are fair game for us to rip you to pieces if we want to, because you're not perfect. And so the 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 interesting thing about that was me and my wife were sitting down talking about uh what lessons we how we would try and teach our boys to respect women and one of the things my wife said which i thought was it blew my mind was she said we have to teach them that girls are not uh are not perfect they are flawed and they will make mistakes and yeah. they are, are deserving of uh kindness compassion and forgiveness so we have this idea, don't we, in our, we, let's be honest, in our movement, of what a woman should be. And if she's not like that, what are the words we use? Degraded, low, on and on. We know what we, what, what we, how we say. So they're just human beings, just like anybody else, but struggling along in the mature world, trying to do their best, right? And, um, and that's an interesting thing, isn't it? If you're a woman, if you don't dress right, you don't talk right, you don't sit right, you don't do this right, you don't do that right, then it's fair game to just, you know, pull you apart. Um, whereas we don't, we, we're so much more forgiving uh, of men. Um, so that's an interesting point. Yeah. I I have quite a, a pressing question. We're, we're approaching two hours and we should, we should find <laughs> up quite soon, gentlemen, but just um, something which is which is coming up for me here. We're living in this in this current time, especially I think last year with all of its events really exacerbated this phenomenon that there's a distinction between someone's circle of concern and their circle of influence, okay? And I'm I'm here listening to this discussion and having the experience that so much of this, of, of so much of what we're discussing here is completely out of my circle of influence, completely. But yet it's entering very strongly and powerfully now into my circle of concern. And we see we have about 50 people that are with us right now. And there's something which is drawing them. And I'm kind of wondering as a sort of a broader question, like, you know, with the internet, suddenly everyone's circle of concern is like 
the entire world and everything that happens within it. And yet most people's circle of influence is minuscule, mm. you know? And so my, my question here would be in terms of everything that we are discussing, in terms of this situation in India that these girls are facing, like who should actually have an opinion on this? Like, should we all have an opinion on this? Because, because I, I feel, to be honest, in this particular Sangha, in this present moment, I feel wholly unqualified to have an opinion. Firstly, mm. because my spiritual master is here and he's like, you know, light years ahead of me, you know, and Ravanal Prabhu, you, you're at the center of this thing. If you didn't make the movie, nothing would have happened. And, you know, Jai Jagannath Prabhu is, is always thinking about so many things and very senior and qualified. And I feel like, what, what is the point of my opinion? you know and so for many people out there so mm. so this is the question who should be having an opinion really you know if they're not able to change anything about it like what practical utility is there in having an opinion about something that we have no power to change and i just say so, yeah mm. just answering that just this I guess goes back to the same question i was asking earlier about what is a call to action for an individual mm -hmm. like me? Like, how is this supposed to impact me and how am yeah. I supposed to respond to that? Or there must be some intention. Yeah, so I'll tell you. So, um, first of all, Prabhu, um, don't think this is a film about girls in India. That's the first thing. Uh, that That's just one aspect of it. It's about it affects every single one of us in the deepest way because we live in this world and we're having um, interactions and relationships between men and women. So, what you can so it's hugely within your sphere of influence not to solve the issues of those girls in India, but to think and consider how, um, you, you know, how this may impact you, the bigger issues in your own dealings with your friends and family, your community, and uh, how you yourself analyze and, and are aware of your own thinking and your own actions, and also what, what is happening around you. And perhaps, you know, it may inform possibly how you, how you behave or how you try and support others who, who are in your own life. So yeah, there's the issue that's over there, uh, and, but there's a much bigger um, issue which is permeating all of our lives and so that's my wish with the film was twofold one that everyone who watched it would not externalize the issues and in the worst case scenario think i'm going to be a bit exaggerating here but oh look at those poor third world girls struggling in some strange alien culture to me that's externalizing it right so um, but internalize it and see how how do these issues uh, how are they uh, uh, relevant in my own life? So that's the the the, the micro that I would I would ask. And obviously, if we're, if you're a man, within that, of course, is you know you don't have to tell anybody about it. You don't have to talk about it. You don't have, just just think just just think about it. You know, wow. Well, how how what are my views deep deep down uh, about women and how where are they where do they come from? 
and are they good are they are they do i feel good about them are they are they nourishing and healthy for me and are they potentially how does that impact on the people and how will that impact my relationships that i have have or i'm going to have um and then on a, a, a macro scale i i happen to be involved with my work in social investment social impact that's my entire world with my work and and so i want to influence the people who are spending billions of pounds uh, on educating girls for example to involve within that a component that works with boys and men to uh, just plain and simple just become more gender equitable just to be more supportive of the women in their communities um uh to 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 progress and like i said earlier you know, at the top of the cake is this, you know, wonderful opportunity for spiritual realization and all of these things. There are other layers within that cake that, um, you know, some of this work um, can help. That last little bit that you just said about how you're involved with social, these like social institutions to help, that gives me a lot more context about the, the sort of story that you shared with us with Road to Brindavan. Mm. And yeah, because like now I was having a conversation with you with, you know, you're a devotee. I'm a devotee. We have very shared social experience within that devotee frame of reference. But mm. now you have this whole other element that you just revealed to me that helps sure. me to give a greater understanding of where you're coming from. And mm. I think that was the heart of what I'm saying gets messy in my head that I don't really have the full context of the social world that people inhabit. And yeah. so... I don't actually rush to conclusions. I actually am very apprehensive about everything. So I end up not doing anything and getting criticized for it. So I'm just like, I'm just like, I don't know. I'm gonna just wait because it's really, it seems really complicated and I'm, I don't want to rush anything this way or that way. But don't, I would say, I mean, not that you've asked me, so forgive me, <laughs> but don't be afraid to make a mistake. I'm move not forward, afraid to move make a forward, mistake, you know, but the, the mistakes I've made in the past have got me blasted. So. <laughs> so, okay. Uh, Can I say me? something I, in addressing Corona Avatar um, that, that I think what, it's just it's just taking off, taking off where Ravi ended and expanding it because I would have said exactly the same thing. Mm. When you're educated about an issue you didn't know about it definitely affects you and it affects decisions you're going to make in your awareness. So it could never not help you. And as you grow in life, you'll realize that you made a decision because, you know, 10 years from now, because you saw this film and it brought awareness. And I want to give a, a very graphic ex example of this. In America, we have the Child Protection Office and I was invited to attend their seminar. And one of the things they described was symptoms of, child, of children who've been abused physically, verbally, or sexually, and um, or just neglected by their parents. And you see them, they, they don't look healthy, they have marks, they're not clean, their clothes are dirty. And you understand there's something wrong with their parents. And when they said that, I thought, oh my God, I was in this situation uh, about a year ago and I didn't even, I mean, I looked at them and said, something strange, but I wasn't educated enough to put it into perspective. As soon as I heard the CPR, I was like, oh. And I was telling my wife, there's so many symptoms by which we can understand if someone's abused that I had no idea. And, and I, even her as a woman was surprised when I mentioned a few things because you'd think 
as a mother, they would be sensitive. So even she didn't know. The other thing I want to add, which is kind of like the icing on the cake, is that early in the movement, not so early, but in the mid-70s, one devotee committed suicide. And one of our guy brothers said, I think he said to my wife or daughter or someone, he said, I wish that I was a little more sensitive to understand what was mm. going, like looking at him and seeing, but mm. I didn't understand because maybe I was too immature. So, you know, it, and I read this book and they said, the number one, this is statistical research, the number one qualification for a team member is sensitivity. Like I can look at your face, Jai Jagannath, and I go, say something, you, I don't think you like what I said, you know, because I can see it in your face. You're that sensitive to one another. So I think um, education, films like this, if you allow it to make you more sensitive and aware, it is going to manifest even though you don't need to know how right now, but you're going to do something in your life and you're going to realize, oh, that's why I did it because of this awareness. Mm. So, you know, you don't have to know <laughs> right now how it's going to help, but you'll be more sensitive to the plight of women and you'll just, um, I became extremely sensitive to the plight of women in ISKCON because they would tell me things that, you know, I kind of knew, but then they'd tell me, and like, and my daughter would tell me things, you know, because she said, oh, it would be so good if there were no men, like, for a day, because then I could just, you know, walk down the street without fear, and, you know, I can go shopping, I don't have to look around, you know, and it's like, you know, when I heard that, I was like, oh, what a perspective as a man, you know, I don't have that perspective, and then I've done Sankirtan, in uh, San Francisco back in the day in the gay areas and the men were trying to pick up on me and grabbing me and you know places you don't want to be grabbed and I was like oh okay now I understand what it's like to be a woman I, ha I had to have that experience because the women say men are lusty this yeah well, you're just exaggerating and then they were doing it to me it's like okay so these things are edifying and then they'd help me become more sympathetic and and when there were problems in temples I would often do things that the leaders, the men, not ill-intentioned, but they just weren't aware of. Mm. That's my two cents. Karuna, can you read these last two comments? They're very encouraging for this sort of discussion. Yeah. I thought it'd be a good place to end. Absolutely. Last three comments, in fact. Um, well, there's actually a few. Okay, so Kamalakshi uh, Radhika says that you can absolutely change things in your circle of influence by supporting and empowering the women in your lives and setting a good example for the men in your lives to do the same. Very much on point. Then Nadia says, the culture of the country starts with the culture of one person, um, which was also wonderful. And then as women, we can look within as well as come together as women to see how we can encourage the men in our lives to come together like these gentlemen have done to address the issue of women's empowerment. How can we hold space for or allow space for them to have such discussions among themselves? Thank you so much, Kamania. That is absolutely beautiful. And, you know, as we said earlier, we like the entire reason why this podcast exists is because we care about women. Okay. You guys have to understand that. So don't tell us that we're discriminating. Um, and Kamania, we'd, we'd love to, we'd actually, Jai and I were, you know, this is in the ether, but we're going to have, we're going to have a follow up and we'd love to have you with us. So 
just putting that out there right now. Then Kamalakshi Radhika, to end off, in one episode of the Honest Women's Podcast, each one of them shared how fortunate they felt that they had men in their lives who supported them and how much harder their services would be without that. A lot of women don't have that, but conversations like this can help change that culture. All right. I feel like I've been like fully edified and like really well educated and I'm deeply grateful. Thank you so much. Dear Gurudev, Ravi Prabhu, Jai Jagannath. Thank you so much. I think you're, oh, muted, Jai, Jai you're muted. True. There was, there's something going on. Um, I wanted to also say thank you and I wanted to make any apologies. I, I personally decided to take the more devil's advocate voice in the conversation just to give you an opportunity to answer some of the questions or thoughts that may come up for a more traditionalist perspective of things. So I think that was good. Thank you for my, doing that. Yeah, my yeah. decision was very conscious um, to do that, but I just wanted to apologize at the end and say I hope I didn't make any too much discomfort or attention there. And thank you so much. I love the movie. I watched it yesterday. Um, in the space that I'm in now, and I very much appreciated the work that you were doing and are doing and continue to do. Thank you so much. Can I just say, I've, I know we mentioned it at the beginning, but if people, in case if you haven't seen the film, please go to roadtovrindavan.com. And if you have seen it uh, and you've liked this, I'm looking forward to reading all these comments. I didn't get, really wasn't able to keep up, but it would be great to hear what you thought. So thank you for having me on. Thank you, Mahatma Prabhu. It was nice to to have some exchanges with you. Hopefully, we can continue to do that. And the same you with were in, you. You were in Vrindavan in 1997. You said. you were probably there. Yeah, I was there. I was living there then. Yeah, yeah. You, you just we just looked different. Then, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. We were Mangalarti together. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Rudev, I'm sorry we couldn't hear more from you. It's really a shame. You know, if you have more thoughts, like somehow or other maybe on i don't know in a video or something you could you could share it with all of us <laughs> yeah i can think about it yeah yeah if, i think if, you, if, i think you've hit it i think you hit it on the head by saying that you're doing this podcast to help the women because you know otherwise the men will always blame the women because that's what ego does mm. and um oh i was going to say also like when you're asking how can i be affected by this we all know as members of the movement, we've heard things about women that we didn't hear before we joined that, that did affect us. And we were trying to imbibe that as truth. It's like you were saying, you just imbibe everything because it's true. And there's no like place in your brain for it because you didn't hear that before. And it's kind of floats around and you, know, you don't always know how to manifest it. And sometimes you manifest it in unhealthy ways. One time we were having a problem I'm, I'm trying to find this devotee to apologize to her. I was in 82. We had this huge problem and she was telling me what to do. And I told her to her face, I have made a vow that I will never take advice from a woman. So, you know, that that's ISKCON 1982. And people who know me know that's like, I'm not like that. But it just shows what that, what hearing all those classes and so forth have done. And you could imagine how successful my marriage was in that time of that year, since I don't listen to anything a woman tells me. Yeah. Um, yeah, that marriage didn't work out so well. So I think that those are realities that we are contending with in the Hare Krishna movement and all religious movements that this podcast and others 
are trying to neutralize because it's subtle. A lot of men don't even realize it. And it comes out in classes and the class givers don't realize it. And I'm looking at it going, what? you can't say that. And everyone's so used to hearing it, nobody even notices it. And that's, that's sad. So I think this podcast is helping that and will continue to help that. Thank you for that blessing, Mahatma Prabhu. I was well noted. Well noted. Go boy. Go boy. You be the man. Hare Krishna. Bye bye. All right. Please just stay on. We're just going to end the broadcast. Okay. Thanks, family. Thank you. Thank you, everyone.